Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. My name is Dr. Vera Tarman, and I am your co-host today along with Clarissa Kennedy. Can you hypnotize yourself out of a sugar craving? Today we interview Victoria Hama, a hypnotherapist, personal trainer, addiction counselor, and chronic pain and weight loss coach. We at Food Junkies Podcast are particularly interested in Vicky's work on hypnotherapy for addiction and weight loss issues. Could this be a vehicle for the food addict to quit sugar or in maintaining their food addiction recovery? This is a special episode because at the end of our interview, Victoria will lead us in a 20-minute live hypnosis that you can use uh, to deal with those pesky sugar cravings or anything else. Please remember, don't drive while listening to this podcast. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me, Vera. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Vicka, I know you very well, and but I would love our audience to get to know you a little bit more. So we'd love if you would share your personal story of sugar, carbohydrate addiction with us. What was your aha moment that food addiction might be an issue for you? So I think on some level, I always really knew because if anybody has struggled with any substance, there's always that part of us that feels sometimes maybe different than others or feels disconnected from the way other people experience that substance or that habit. And so I think for myself, I always knew there was a little bit of that. My story really goes back though to being a child because I was adopted and I was brought to Canada when I was two and a half. And although I don't have very many memories of being that young, my parents often do have memories of me hoarding food or, you know, needing to eat absolutely everything and eating really large volumes. And of course, to them, that's totally normal because they're bringing a child from a country where they may not have actually had enough food. They were a little bit malnourished. So to come to a land and a country where food is so plentiful and so accessible There was a period, especially from a very young age, where I felt that survival need to consume everything. So that's where it really began. That being said, as I started to grow up, there was less and less of that overt, uh, obvious behavior. So my parents, you know, I wasn't, I would still like my foods. And I, you know, I know, recognized now, looking back, I almost had a little bit of restless, anxious feelings around needing to keep the food to myself. Uh, I struggled to share food. That was a big one for me as well, was especially if I enjoy it, it tastes good. I don't want to share it with anybody else. I want to keep it to myself. So when I got older, you know, I recognized that piece, at least myself, before recognizing the bigger piece of it's actually an addiction. And I would actually, anytime I had the feeling in myself that I didn't want to share something, I actually forced myself to share it. I also felt that I had a sense of control if I said, hey, would you like to try this? Versus somebody asking me, can I have some of that? And in my mind, that helped me to let go of some of those feelings if I was the first one to initiate that. But it wasn't really until I met yourself and I started doing a lot more self-growth work and I was working with a lot of other substance abuse addicts, uh, not specifically food, that I started to notice some reoccurring habits and themes in my life that I was seeing in other people. And I decided to have a conversation about the bigger look of that. I will be totally transparent and say that weight and health were a piece of my decision to address it further. That being said, I was never a person to like weigh myself all the time. That wasn't the biggest issue for me. It was just something that I knew I also just was not healthy and I needed to address all of the reasons why I wasn't healthy. And in the past, I'd actively avoided food as one of those ways to get better. I'd focused on the fitness exercise, all of that piece. So I decided to, after talking with you, it was funny. I went home and I remember our conversation was, so can I, um, can we do like harm reduction instead of abstinence? Because immediately my mind was like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is scary. This is big. Like this is the first time in your life you're really taking that next step. 
And you were like, yeah, of course. And you were so great about it. And then I went home and I was thinking about it and we were trying to make a plan about what harm reduction would look like. And I remember I just had this moment where I was like, what are you doing? Like, when are you ever going to be ready? Like, this is, this is the kind of catch 22 that you're never going to be ready. Just try it. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work right away. And that's okay. And so I, I remember messaging you and being like, I'm just quitting. This is it. I'm doing it. And it was the best thing I ever did. I, you know, it obviously the first week or two was challenging and physically, mentally, everything. But after that, I started to feel the effects of how my body, my brain were so much happier making that big change. And that was really what drove me to continue and then to actually help other people. Yeah. So you are a massage therapist, but then you also transitioned to this hypnotherapy. So was some of this driving that? Like, tell us a little bit about the reason why and, you know, what you're currently doing now. Yeah. I doing massage therapy and personal training, you know, I get the physical aspects of it, the anatomy. I love science and all that, but I always was from a very young age, actually very intrigued by brain science. And I remember reading uh, one of my favorite books that introduced me to all of this brain stuff was The Brain That Changes Itself, which is kind of a great introductory book on neuroplasticity. And I realized that our brains have all this power and we see it in the physical realm when we're trying to change the way somebody's walking uh, because of an injury or an issue or how that change in walking does affect other physical aspects. But I always felt like there was something missing. I always felt like okay, we got the physical stuff, but it's not just physical because neuroplasticity says it's not just physical. There's more to it. And I remember I kind of randomly stumbled upon a podcast. I was talking about hypnotherapy and I absolutely loved her approach because she really helped to marry the physical with the mental psychological. And that was what I felt like I was missing. And so after that, I looked more into it and uh, did all my education courses. And I'm kind of a lifelong learner, so I never really stop learning. I'm always reading more books or podcasts or whatever I can get my hands on. Okay, thank you. Thanks thanks so much, Victoria. Um, okay, so let's get for our listeners. Um, can you define what is hypnosis? A simple a definition. And then, you know, does it work? And yeah, yeah how does it work? So it's, it's tough to have a simple definition, to be honest, because it varies so much from everybody. So I guess it's really just a immersive, non-judgmental experience. So it's kind of a combination of a dissociation with immersion that creates almost like this trance state. This is the part that people get nervous about because they don't understand what that looks like. So this hypnotic or trance state is something we actually put ourselves in daily all the time. So if you've ever been driving and you zone out is the word we like to use, it's that that's really a, a state of hypnosis. It's a state of self-hypnosis we've given ourselves. What it really is, is that our conscious mind is busy doing other things. So our subconscious mind takes over. We have these two parts of our brain because it's important that we don't have to do everything consciously. It would require way too much metabolic energy and way too much effort. I often relate it to a computer program in the sense of you have, in order to listen to a podcast, you have all of these things happening in the background of your computer to allow the podcast to play. You don't need to know what's happening. You just need to know what's happening. If you had to consciously say yes and no and write the code every single time you wanted to listen to something, you wouldn't be able to listen to it because you're doing all this other stuff. So our subconscious mind really does all of that for us. In hypnosis, we kind of allow the conscious mind to settle down and be quiet. And we really kind of have more of a conversation with the subconscious mind. So it's essentially this, they've noticed that uh, there's different brain waves that the brain has. So there's alpha, beta, gamma, all of these delta. So delta is sleep. Alpha is very awake, alert. Beta is almost that anxious can be if it's high beta. And then theta, which is the one we use in hypnosis, is essentially this state where, you know, it's, it's in meditation, you'll feel it as well. And it relates to the state between wakefulness and sleeping. So the other way I describe hypnosis is when you're falling asleep and you can hear everything happening around you, but you're not really there. That's another way to describe that hypnosis state. So they've actually done studies and they found that theta waves are the dominant frequency in healing, highly creative states, uh, remembering emotional experiences, good or bad, even memory retrieval and encoding new memories into thoughts. 
Yeah, thank you. That's a great definition. Uh, the way that I often see it, which I think is just going to uh, uh, belly up or, or piggyback, whatever the term is, on uh, what you're saying, is that that critical conscious mind is fed the story. You're on a beach or you're, you know, on a beautiful landscape. And while you're frolicking, you know, with the, the beach and the waves and the whales, then there's that uh, intentional voice that says you will enjoy being smoke-free or something like that. And you won't be able to fight it because you're too busy with the waves and the whales so that you then, you the therapist, can actually get right to the heart of the, the vulnerable person who will listen to you. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up smoking because I literally, I just the other day did a, a day for uh, clients and there was five different people who wanted to do smoking cessation. It's a very popular one. Yeah, I do things a little bit differently, but uh, what's interesting about smoking specifically is people think about it as the actual substance and it's almost never the actual substance. There's two main drivers I found. There's other ones, of course, but the two biggest ones are social acceptance because smoking gives you this feeling of being connected to other people, even when you don't know them. So if you have any kind of social anxiety, smoking is a great way to meet people, to talk to people and get away of that anxiety. So it actually serves a really specific purpose. And the second one is actually safety. And nobody thinks about safety in smoking, but I saw it in three of the five people I did smoking cessation on, their drivers for smoking were actually, they came from an abusive household and it was one of the ways they were able to leave a stressful, dangerous situation without worry of creating more harm or danger to themselves. You know, I find that fascinating because you could say the very same thing about food, social acceptance and safety. Like what are the big ones that people, they don't really want that thing that's just making them feel sick and full and more disgusted with themselves. They want exactly what you've just said. Uh, so how are you doing that then? So I take a slightly different approach than some hypnotherapy I um I do something that's called role function purpose intention. So I remember it's funny because I read a book and he was talking about more in the salesy or whatever when you're trying to figure out what a client wants from you, you need to ask them why three times. Because the first time you ask them why, they won't really tell you what's happening. The second time they'll elaborate a bit more. And the third time is usually when you get down to the more meat and bones of what they need or want. So with role, function, purpose, intention, I essentially take them through and ask them, you know, what's the role that smoking gives you in your life? And it usually starts with something simple like, makes me feel relaxed. Okay, great. And, you know, sometimes we'll get a little bit more out of that. We'll ask a few whys, but it's usually pretty broad. The next time when I ask, okay, well, what's the function that smoking gives you? It allows me to escape. Okay, well, what is it you're escaping from? Blah, 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 blah. We get more into that. The next one, well, what's the purpose of smoking in your life now? The purpose is to be able to remove myself from situations. Then you're starting to get into the meat and bones. So it's not really about relaxation. Yes, it might give you relaxation, but it's really, you're asking and pulling out the why and the deeper depths of it. And sometimes we have to go back into what we call regressions, where we actually go back into childhood memories. When you're asking the client all these questions, are they in hypnosis or is this yes. hypnosis interview? No, they're in hypnosis oh, because that's the key part. Because hypnosis, we're not doing the analytical thinking piece. So they just respond. They don't have to think like, well, I had a great childhood, but that one time kind of bothered me, but I've dealt with that, which is what you hear in therapy all the time, right? Yeah. But okay. So just for our listeners, they're not going to wake up out of the hypnosis by answering your questions? No, no. Um, This is the interesting part is that oftentimes people associate hypnosis with laying down and almost being asleep. Yeah. And I do some of that in mine, but I often tell them at the beginning that there's going to be a few moments where I'll ask them to either repeat something I say out loud, or I'll ask them a question and they can respond. And because hypnosis, you're not in this like box, you're free to do whatever you want. And in fact, when people are worried about being stuck in hypnosis, I tell them I do virtual hypnosis all over the world. And sometimes with people who don't have great internet connection, and there have been times where the call has dropped, And it takes a minute or two, but they come back on because literally after a minute or two of not hearing anything from me, they usually are like, huh, their conscious brain kind of clicks back in and goes, hey, it's kind of quiet. Like what's going on there? And it gets curious. And then they just open their eyes and they're like, oh, the call dropped. Okay, great. So, so you mentioned earlier that you're interested in uh, brain and neurological stuff. So um, can you explain anything about what's happening from the language of neurology, neurochemistry? 
Yeah. So obviously it's quite complex and there's a lot to it. Thumbnail description. Yeah. And to be honest, hypnotherapy, they've struggled to know a lot about it. So they know pieces and some of it, to be honest, is just not well-researched yet. So, I mean, what we're doing is we're changing the way the brain processes information. So studies have shown that during hypnosis, there's an increased activity in the prefrontal cortex. So that's the part of the brain that's responsible for that decision-making, planning, and self-control, which is why when we're dealing with things like cravings, it can be helpful because if we're working with the part of the brain that's working with self-control, we can have an influence there. So it actually helps individuals to control some of their thoughts and behaviors, um, which is helpful with limiting beliefs, negative thought patterns. It's also been shown to have physical effects on the body. So it's, again, it's not mind-body connection. It's not one or the other. So, I mean, they've even found that hypnosis has helped reduce pain levels, improve healing times after surgery, um, obviously lose weight, overcome anxiety, depression. But one of the challenges in studying hypnosis, it's difficult to quantify and measure a lot of things. And this is in the psychology field a lot, right? It's a lot more, this is why they they like to call us a soft science, even though obviously it's not. So it's such a subjective experience. It can be challenging to really put it into that quantitative terms that people want, but it also works off of auto-suggestion. So auto-suggestion is that, you know, our automatic thoughts, feelings, behaviors that we aren't consciously telling ourselves, it's subconscious patterns. So in neuroplasticity, we have those thought patterns that become ingrained in us. And the more we use that path, I always remind people, like if you're walking through tall grass, the first time you walk through, it's incredibly challenging and you don't know, might not know where you're going. You might not have a straight line, but every single time you walk that path, the grass folds down and you become more of a clear path and it becomes easier. And yeah. it, it's more likely for you to use that path than trying to create a new path. Yeah. And I just want to say that one, one of the examples of auto-suggestion that we do a lot, especially in the food addiction world is I'm fat, I'm ugly, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're essentially telling ourselves in this way, laying down that pathway. And I'm suggesting you're going to ask the person to take a different path. Mm-hmm. Almost well, like and- the nocebo effect, like the negative effect that we put upon yes. ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so when we go back to that idea of the theta brainwave, what's interesting is when they did studies, anxiousness and restlessness actually means that theta wavelength is reduced. Interestingly enough, that you can actually help increase that through medication, but obviously through meditation, mindfulness practices, that will help increase that theta wavelength state. And the anterior cingular cortex, the ACC, is involved in regulating emotional states from restlessness to anxiety and focused relaxation. So again, we're helping that one part of the brain that helps us turn from anxiousness to focused relaxation. Okay. Now, I want to say also that um, you mentioned that there's the difference between um, body and mind are, are, this is where we see that they're related and that hypnotherapy helps for eczema. Like how, how does it do that? But it does. It helps for burn victims. It helps for the mentioned pain. Like it actually increases, releases endorphins, which, you know, like that's just by suggestion. So it's quite a powerful thing. Um, Can I, I want to ask you a specific question. When you look at addiction, now I know that Chrissy's going to ask you about food addiction, but just in general addiction, are you trying to change the actual addictive pull itself by lessening that? Or are you trying to just strengthen willpower, like which is what you mentioned earlier? Or can you do both? It's definitely both. I don't think you could separate one from the other because again, and the way I approach it is it's it's not at the beginning, it's not about the substance. It's about the driver behind the substance. Right. So I really focus on, okay, well, why do you feel you need it? How does it serve you? Is the question I always ask because And immediately people's first answer is always, it doesn't, it's bad for me. Well, no, you wouldn't be doing it if your brain and your mind didn't believe it was helping you in some way. So that's where I start is how do you believe it's helping you? What brought us to this moment here? And sometimes it's things that they consciously know. And sometimes it's things that they only subconsciously recognize. And that's the interesting part is post uh, session. Oftentimes we'll do a quick little recap of like, how'd you feel? Was anything surprising that came up? And oftentimes they're like, wow, yeah, I did not remember that I was five years old and I had that experience. And I didn't remember, like, I totally forgot that that affected me the way it did. And now I can start to see how those things affect my behavior even still today. And once you can understand 
what's driving the behavior, then you can change the behavior. But until you understand what's driving it, it can help, but it's not going to fix anything. It's just going to be a band-aid and it can be a helpful tool, but it has to be in conjunction with the other stuff. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, obviously I experienced that in my hypnotherapy session with you, where I had this, you know, obviously very meaningful moment of me forgetting a piano song, going off the stage and like not feeling loved and supported or, you know, probably what I needed in that moment. And that I still had was got very emotional about it. And so it was definitely fascinating to me because that's not something you would normally be able to pull out in traditional talk therapy. So I did want to touch a bit on some of the evidence for hypnotherapy specifically related to addiction. I know you have some quantifying numbers there. So I came prepared for you guys because I wanted to (laughs) let people know that even though it's hard to study, there still are a lot of studies that show it's incredibly effective. So there was, uh, there's Dr. Alfred Berrios who actually surveyed over 2000 journal articles. And after kind of doing a peer review of them, essentially created a chart of average expected recovery rates in therapy. So psychotherapy had about 38% recovery after 600 sessions. Cognitive behavioral therapy had about 72% recovery after about 22 sessions. And hypnotherapy had a 93% recovery after six sessions. So because we're cutting through a lot of the cognitive stuff, we're able to get to the meat and bones really quickly, which again, can be helpful for a lot of clients, especially if they're also utilizing other types of therapy as well. It really meshes well. So there was interesting... There was a 2011 study that looked at the effectiveness of hypnosis on children that were affected by PTSD after terrorist attacks in Bali in 2002. So what's interesting is statistically significant results showed that children who received hypnosis treatment reported a 77% improvement rate of their PTSD symptoms after one year. There was another one. I mean, they do. They have a lot for smoking. I mean, a lot of the statistics are showing 80, 90% success rate for smoking cessation. What's fascinating in the other addict, addiction world is that there's great statistics for a lot of opioid use, alcoholism. So there was one that uh, was on methadone and the experimental group had significantly less discomfort and illicit drug use and significantly greater amount of cessation. So at six months following up, 94% of the subjects in the experimental group had achieved abstinence and they were narcotic free. And they did another study and there was treatment with 18 clients and over the last seven years have shown a 77% success rate for at least one year post-follow-up. And 15 were being seen for alcoholism, two were being seen for cocaine, and one for marijuana addiction. Can I ask you a question? Do you have more stats? Because the stats are super interesting, but can I, do you? I do have, I have, so I've pulled a few stats from different things because people often assume, yeah, there's not any on food addiction. Oh, okay. But can I ask you a quick question about what you said? Do you think it's possible if you address the safe and the social or whatever the uh, underlying piece is that a person could come to you like you did and say, well, now that I've addressed those things, can I moderate my drug use? Can I have just a few cigarettes or a few cookies once in a while now that I'm not feeling whatever it was that that food was giving me before? Now, you, I know you yourself have said you need abstinence. So what, what's, the, what's the thing there? So it depends. I mean, there is an argument for both sides. I think it depends on the substance. We know that opioids and narcotics and sugar, similarly, the way it binds to receptors in our body make it quite challenging to have just a little. I mean, I don't know of many, if any, opioid addicts who have been able to have just a little. Do I feel like it's impossible? No, because I mean, with especially with hypnotherapy, some of the stories of people being able to, the amount of pain they've been able to help themselves with and other things, it is, you can force your mind to go over your body. You can 100%. And for people who think it's unrealistic, I mean, there was a case of a woman who believed she was pregnant and because she so strongly believed it, she created a pregnancy in her body and she had a birth of nothing because she wasn't pregnant. So our body can biologically change based off of what we choose to say it can do. So I think maybe, but my question to people who don't want to choose abstinence for a substance that is not helping them, why? I mean, with sugar, I think obviously you can have some and still exist only in the sense of 
there's natural sugars, there's sugar in, you know, like if you're talking about processed sugar, maybe not, it's not necessary for your life. But if you're talking about natural occurring sugars, carbohydrates in general, you continue to eat them. You just aren't having the same biological response because it is a slightly different substance. And you have an association with the uh, processed sugar differently than you do the natural sugar often. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll go back to the science. So there was another one. This is for veterans. There were 261 veterans that admitted to substance abuse uh, rehabilitation program. And the individuals who used repeated self-hypnosis three to five times a week at least after a seven-week follow-up reported the highest levels of self-esteem, serenity, and the least anger, impulsivity in comparison to all of the other groups. So it's not just substances, it's behavioral stuff as well. And I mean, there was a recent study that published in May 2021 of the Journal of Effective Disorders found that hypnotherapy was not less effective than CBT for treating mild to moderate depression. The results indicated that CBT led to a 38.5% reduction in symptoms severity, whereas hypnotherapy was actually 44.6. So we know CBT is effective, and that's why a lot of people use it. But it's also very much effective to use hypnotherapy because we use similar properties. Yeah. And I love that you said it's not just the substance, it's also the behaviors around the substance. And I know in speed sobriety, you've come and you do some group hypnotherapy there. And so many clients have, it's not just like food addiction or the specific foods they're eating. It's about emotional eating and the other behaviors around and learning how to mindfully eat. And so can you just tell our audience a little bit, like, how do you use hypnotherapy with food addiction and weight loss? For sure. So for starters, what's interesting in the hypnotherapy world, we hate the word weight loss because it has a subconscious belief that if you lose something, it's negative. And if you lose your keys, you have to find them. If you lose a person, it's sad and you have to grieve. So we like to use weight reduction That's just a quick little tidbit I love to give people because sometimes even just changing that wording for themselves in their life can make a small difference. So when we're talking about more food-related stuff specifically, I think we can't really untie, especially in North America, food from emotions or food from social activities. I mean, we just had Easter, which is literally where we come together to eat chocolate and or other big meal as family. There's almost no family events or social group events that we have where food is not in the center of it. So for some people, that's their trigger is being in groups or social events and wanting to feel accepted, needed, whatever. So when we can identify, okay, well, you know that your trigger is late at night. Okay, well, why is your trigger late at night? Is it because you're tired and you feel food gives you a sense of relief and it gives you a rest in some sense? Is it because you know you feel like you need to reward yourself? And if you're struggling in a group situation, why is it you're struggling in a group situation? Is it because you're worried you won't be accepted if you're not eating the same foods as everybody? Are you worried that it's the only way that you're going to be able to stay calm while you're in a social experience? So when you understand the why behind the trigger, that's where you really get success. And so that's often people want me just to do the, you don't want sugar, you don't want sugar, you feel great when you don't eat sugar. And I do some of that, but that will not last If the story behind that statement is sugar makes me socially acceptable, having a drink makes me socially acceptable. And let's go back to the smoking because it's a very easy description for people is I could have told these people who had issues with safety and abuse in their life that they didn't need cigarettes, but it doesn't matter. They would go back to smoking when they're faced with a tough situation that reminds them that they're unsafe and their way to escape that is with a cigarette. It's the same thing as if you don't believe you're enough and you're not worth anything, but food makes you feel good and gives you that dopamine, serotonin, all of those happy drugs to say, I feel good. Now your brain has created a way to get around the thought of, I don't, I'm, I don't feel good enough. Do you think the food industry hypnotizes us in some kind of way with all their messaging? And, you know, does this cause us to pick up foods we wouldn't normally get or overeat other trigger foods? 1000%. For the people who don't believe in hypnotherapy, I often put it in the realm of marketing 
it's essentially almost a form of hypnosis. So what's fascinating is there's actually called conversational hypnotherapy or hypnosis. And Milton Erickson was a huge person in hypnotherapy and hypnosis who did this all the time. So essentially he'd be having a conversation with somebody and would be putting them into a trance with certain words and everything else. And their eyes would be open and they would feel awake and alert, but just like we're, we can drive and go into a trance, we can talk and go into a trance or watch something and go into a trance. So what's interesting is marketing uses a lot of conversational hypnosis to get you to buy exactly what they want you to buy and copious amounts of it, and then decide it was actually your choice to do it. Nobody made you do it. And they've gotten really, really good at this. So they use vague communication to kind of initiate your mind to have a database to search for information. So things that when they say like, it will make you taller, stronger, sharper. Well, they don't say how tall. It's very vague. They don't say what kind of strength or anything like that. What they're waiting and looking for you to do is to actually tap into your history of what those words mean to you and make your own inferences on them. So, you know, they use things like unspecified verbs in the sense of like the taste of thunder. What does that mean? But guess what? Your brain will find a meaning or I'm loving it. Oh, well, what do you love? That's such a vague statement. But guess what? Your brain will make a connection as to what you love. So when you think about these statements, they often will sound good and appealing, but they have nobody has any idea what they mean. They, they're really meaningless. And what's interesting is they do more than this. They, they do a lot of things that are tied to hypnotherapy and hypnosis. So there's a thing called the law of dominance. And it states essentially that the client's mind is more likely to accept a suggestion when they look up to you as an authority. How many times do we see research or commercials where they use somebody dressed in scrubs or it says doctor approved or doctor suggested? And what's fascinating is we think about them in those terms but what we've forgotten, and Dove did a great job at this in their campaigns, they did a next the next door woman campaign because they recognized that now people are getting smart to the celebrities and authorities uh, like doctors saying we can do this. But they, we don't realize that sometimes when everybody else is doing it, that's all the authority we need. So they emphasize the fact that these people are not celebrities because we tend to like people who seem like they're like us and That's we like actually might trust them more than like the TikTok influencers and whatnot. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of all of this, they like to stir up our emotions because they know the brain really latches onto emotions. So they evoke, evoke emotions like fear, love, you know, fear of missing out the sensation that you'll feel a mental position, making somebody sometimes uncomfortable to push them towards the more comfortable and oftentimes when they do that, they're using it as this is now the solution. So you're so uncomfortable. Well, we have the solution and they know your emotions will like that. And then they play on your senses. You know, they, they want to make sure that it's bright and it catches your eye or it gives you the sense of calming. If it's supposed to make you feel good, they even like politicians know this. If you ever watch many politicians wear blue, whether it's a blue tie or blue shirt, cause they, they did studies and when somebody is wearing blue, you're more likely to trust them. Yeah. So an example in the way that you're describing would be like, you know, um, Turkey means Thanksgiving. So like, like we've given ourselves images, which implies something else, which is essentially in the, in addiction speak triggers. So it's actually the manufacturing of triggers. So can yeah. hypnotherapy remove that trigger and make it a benign substance? So you see a turkey and you don't necessarily, or you see chocolate and you don't necessarily think Valentine's or Easter. Definitely can, because what often people think is that you either have to love or hate something, and the opposite of love is hate, and it's not. It's indifference. So my job is not to make you hate the substance. Uh, my job is to make you feel indifferent when you see or notice that substance or notice that trigger. Like, like because you we're, it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you, oftentimes I tie it back to something else that you want. Because if I can tie it back to something you want and a vision of something you want, then that allows you to have also internal motivation when you're saying no. So can we do our own hypnotherapy in recovery? And what might that look like? We already kind of touched briefly on auto-suggestions. And that's essentially a form of self-hypnosis in a sense, because we're creating new neural pathways. So 
I've the other word for auto suggestion is affirmation, which I'm not using anymore because people don't take them seriously. They don't realize affirmations are based in science. There's also really important things you need to do when you're creating these auto suggestions or affirmations. And you need to really be specific about the language you're using. So for instance, if I give my client something they need to repeat, it will often be, I am choosing healthy foods or I am choosing foods that nourish me. And I use the word choosing because if it's not a choice, you'll often, your mind goes, no, 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 we don't want that. You've told me you want other things. Whereas when you say to yourself, I am choosing this, your mind has less arguments with you. Now it's hard because at the beginning, it feels very fake and forced, but as you go on, it does become your natural norm. And I've done this with many, many things. Uh, Food is just one of the simple things. And even repeating sugar cannot replace the love that other people give me or the love I give myself. It's very clear. It also has an emotion tied to it and it will direct you in the way you need to go. So what, what kind of success have you seen with doing what you're doing? Can you give us an example? I, I think you are like with food would be specific, would be really interesting, but whatever. Um, yes. So I've had, I think Clarissa can talk more to some of the successes we've had with sweet sobriety mm-hmm. uh, for food. But outside of that, I have had people who they are just not as emotionally responding to their triggers. So instead of reacting, they're actually able to sit for a moment and go, wait, I don't actually want that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to respond like that. That's not actually what I want for my future. And so sometimes it's just even giving them that second to be able to respond in the way that they want versus responding automatically. It creates an awareness and a connection. I actually kind of call it between the two sides of your brain, the one that's doing things automatically and the one that is consciously trying to choose better choices. So instead of separating them, which many people are, they're very, you know, the two sides are arguing against each other every day, which is what causes a lot of the internal frustration, sadness, the feeling of defeat. I really try and marry that. So then consciously, even you're making better choices that subconsciously your brain's like, oh yeah, you told us we wanted this. Yeah. And definitely I can speak to it. We had several group members who struggled with evening eating or emotional eating episodes. And I think the intensity of the cravings is what they noticed had significantly decreased where it was just like a thought and then they were able to give it a new thought. So it just allowed them to manage the cravings rather than it feel like a compulsion. I guess, I mean, would that also help then in the context of somebody who's trying to quit and thinking there's no way I can do this, that you can actually have them approach, okay, I'm going like withdrawal essentially and make withdrawal, Mm -hmm. prosecute withdrawal much less horrible. Yeah. So when I deal with more physical symptoms, um, like chronic pain is a big one. I often remind people that you're, you have the ability to create analgesic responses in your body all the time. And I'll give you an example for everybody listening. Up until this moment, did you feel your feet? Did you feel them on the carpet in your shoes, anything like that? Probably not, unless you were like painting your toes or giving yourself a foot massage. But if I say now, feel your feet on the floor, you can. Because our body cannot focus on everything happening within it, mentally, emotionally, physically, all the time, it decides what it's going to specifically focus on. So if you can tell it what to focus on, you can actually get it to change its biological response. I love that. So where can, other than sweet sobriety, you know, where can our listeners find you? What are you currently working on? Yeah. So uh, you can find me at my website, www.victoriahama.com. Victoria spelled V-I-K-T-O-R-I-A, Hama, H-A-M-M-A. Or you can find me on social media at V-I-K-K-A-H. I also have a new show that I have just started called The Subconscious Proof, where I'm going to be interviewing other people in other fields. We're really going to be talking about the mind-body connection and how we can help people. And my big piece is always action things they can do today because it's great to have all this information, but if we don't know what to do with the information, it only takes us so far. So you can find me at any of those places and or Sweet Sobriety as well as I will be doing some sessions with them too. And we have a signature question uh, before we launch into your hypnotherapy and it is, if you could tell a younger version of yourself something about food addiction, what would it be? Food will not give you the love you're looking for. It will not reward you. You are doing amazing. And 
food is not the savior you think it's going to be. Awesome. Thank you so much. Great job. Thank you. Hey, Food Junkies listeners. We're just going to take a quick break here to share with you something our team thinks could help benefit your recovery with food, body, or self. Thank you again for listening. Hey, Food Junkies listeners, Clarissa here from Sweet Sobriety to tell you about our incredible offering for our June workshop. If you have enjoyed hearing what Victoria has shared so far about the power of hypnosis and how it can impact your recovery... Next month, Victoria is offering a four-week workshop on the invisible power within, the subconscious drivers behind addiction. Each week's session will come with a recorded hypnosis you will have access to for life. This course will feature five topics. One, empower mind, harnessing the power of the subconscious mind. The first rule of the mind is that it always acts on what it believes to be true. Every thought and word creates a blueprint for what the mind thinks we should do. You will learn how empowering the subconscious mind with positive beliefs and auto-suggestions can help us overcome addiction and take control of our lives. Two, rise above, overcoming limiting beliefs and habits. The second rule of the mind is that it cannot distinguish between reality and imagination. This section explores your personal limiting beliefs and helps individuals rise above those beliefs and habits by guiding them to focus on positive outcomes and reframing negative thoughts. We focus on how visualization is a powerful tool to help with triggers and cravings. Three, triumph, achieving success in life and recovery. The third rule of the mind is that it responds to repetition and emotion. Here we highlight how you can achieve success in recovery and in life by using positive affirmations and understanding how these charge and uncharge emotions to rewire the brain for success. Four, breakthrough, breaking free from addiction and negative patterns. The fourth rule of the mind is that it seeks pleasure and avoids pain. Part four helps individuals break free from addiction and negative patterns by rewiring the brain to associate pleasure with positive habits and healthy behaviors. Part five, unleash potential, unlocking your full potential, is about the fifth rule of the mind in that it cannot hold conflicting beliefs. Conflicting beliefs create internal turmoil, self-sabotage, and a sense of the wheels turning, but no forward movement. The final part of the workshop will help you unlock your full potential by understanding areas of push and pull from your mind and body. What directions are you giving yourself that may unknowingly go against other beliefs? And how will this free you to overcome cravings and triggers with more ease? The course starts June 5th, which is a Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It will run every Monday in June, finishing on the 26th. The cost is $50 US and you can register at www.sweetsobriety.ca. The link will also be in the show notes. Now back to the show. If you have enjoyed this episode, please let us know. We love to hear from you. Kindly leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. We love getting feedback from our listeners. Please do not listen to this recording while driving, operating machinery, or doing anything that requires your focus. Find a nice relaxing spot, sitting in a relaxed position, Allow yourself to be free from distractions. In a relaxed position, can you take a nice deep breath in and out? Again, in and out. One more time, breathing in relaxation and exhaling out stress tension. I wonder if you can close your eyes now. Close your eyes and perhaps you can imagine that they are glued together or just so comfortably relaxed that they don't want to open. So heavy and relaxed. With your eyes closed, can you look up onto the screen of your forehead? And as you do, notice your eyes are becoming so heavy, so relaxed that they can't open at all. You may notice a bar of light or color that appears 
as you look up onto that screen of your forehead. Notice what that is and then allow your eyes to continue to relax. All the muscles and nerves in and around your eyes are becoming droopy, drowsy, and relaxed. Good. Now your eyes are really heavy and relaxed and they won't open. Just try to open your eyes and see how the harder you try, the heavier and more comfortable and relaxed they become. Good, you're doing great. So just forget all about your eyes for a moment. Now I want you to press your hands together tightly now, really tightly, so that you can feel the palms of the hands touching each other. And I want you to lock your thumbs over each other. And those hands are becoming locked together so tightly that they feel as though they're stuck together with super glue. They're so tightly and securely locked together and the harder you press your hands together, the tighter they stick and more securely locked the hands become. Press them together tightly now so that they just won't come apart. That's it, tighter and tighter. Those hands so securely clasped, so tightly clasped, like they're together with super glue and they just won't open at all. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to open them. You'll try to open them, but they won't open at all because they are so tightly stuck together. Okay, so try to pull your hands apart. Try and notice that the hands are just too tightly clasped together and they just won't open at all. And the harder you try and open them, the tighter they feel. Now relax your hands. Stop trying to open them. And just allow them, let them open easily. The hands are moving apart now. They're, they're opening so easily now. Take another nice deep breath in and out, breathing in relaxation and exhaling out any remaining stress and tension in your body. And with every breath, it just brings you further and deeper into an incredibly relaxed state. As you know, hypnosis is not about being asleep. It's the sleep of the nervous system, recognizing that your subconscious mind will hear everything it needs to hear and absorb everything easily and effortlessly. You know that for a while you've struggled with food cravings, but now you are ready to leave them behind you and choose healthier methods for dealing with your emotional and physical needs. Together we are giving your subconscious mind the ultimate power to release, relieve, and let go of any unwanted cravings that we know do not serve us. So imagine you are standing at the edge of a dense forest filled with unhealthy food cravings. Each tree and plant represents a different temptation such as sugary snacks, fried foods, or excessive portion sizes. As you look around, you notice the forest appears dark, unwelcoming, and overwhelming. At your feet, you see a narrow, winding path leading to a distant, sunlit area. This path represents your journey to healthier food choices and the elimination of unhealthy cravings. With determination and hope, you step onto the path, leaving the unhealthy forest behind. And you may notice as you walk along the path, the landscape begins to change. The dark, unhealthy tree and plants are gradually replaced by vibrant, healthy vegetation. Each new plant and tree symbolizes a healthier food option, such as fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and lean proteins. Eventually, you reach a beautiful garden filled with an abundance of healthy food choices. The sun shines brightly, and the atmosphere is filled with a sense of vitality and nourishment. You walk through the garden, exploring the various plants and trees, and you notice that your cravings for unhealthy foods have vanished, gone away, far behind you. Instead, you feel a strong desire to nourish your body with wholesome natural foods found in the garden. And as you continue to spend time in the garden, you feel your body and mind becoming healthier and more energized. Each day, moment, minute, hour, your resolve to make healthier food choices grow stronger and the unhealthy forest becomes a distant memory. You understand that you have the power to choose what you put in your body and that choosing healthy food not only benefits your physical well-being, 
but also your mental and emotional health. Take a moment to appreciate the transformation you've experienced in this metaphorical journey. As you are relaxing so well now, I'd like you to begin to imagine or visualize or just sense yourself looking into a full-length mirror and seeing the you that you really want to achieve. Note the happiness in your face, how healthy your skin looks. See the outfit you're wearing. Notice how good it looks on you. Notice your emotions. It may be feelings of confidence, a healthier feeling, heightened self-esteem, a strong feeling of pride in how you look. That's right, just as long as you need. Within the few moments, now visualize the new you, the ideal you, the you that you want to be. You've taken a major step today. You've decided to do something really positive to achieve your ideal you. You've made a clear decision that you are going to take charge and make changes. You're doing this for yourself. You're taking control. You know you have no need to diet. You eat wholesome, balanced, beautiful, nutritious meals in the appropriate quantities at the right time to see you through the day easily and effortlessly. You feel justifiably proud of how easily you achieve this. Imagine or visualize or just sense yourself again now in front of that mirror with the new you in the reflection. You see that slimmer, healthier person and more than that, you see a better informed person who understands their body's desires, who properly considers choices that deliver the lifestyle and body and emotions and happiness they want, who has done this for themselves and is in control completely. So notice a light that surrounds you in this mirror. It may be small right now, but it represents your confidence, willpower, and intentions to follow through. With every minute, day, and week that passes, this light will grow bigger and stronger because you are continuing to make so many incredible healthy choices for yourself. Out loud or in your mind, I want you to repeat after me. And as you do, the light surrounding you will grow larger and stronger and more resilient. Repeat after me now. I am in control of my food choices and I choose to nourish my body with healthy options. Cravings are temporary and I have the power to let them pass without giving in. I'm committed to my health and well-being and I choose foods that support my goals. I find satisfaction and enjoyment in eating wholesome, nutritious meals. Each day, I become stronger and more resilient in resisting unhealthy cravings. My body deserves the best fuel and I provide it with the nutrients it needs to thrive. I'm confident in my ability to make healthy choices, even in challenging situations. With every healthy choice I make, I'm taking a step closer to my optimal well-being. I replace unhealthy cravings with positive thoughts and actions that contribute to my overall health. I'm grateful for the opportunity to nourish my body and mind with nutritious foods. Really feel how these statements are beginning to become you. Notice how large and strong the light is around your body. This light is your strength and ability to overcome any cravings. Repeat after me one more time and watch the light become bigger and larger and stronger. I am in control of my food choices and I choose to nourish my body with healthy options. Cravings are temporary and I have the power to let them pass without giving in. 
I'm committed to my health and well-being and choose foods that support my goals. I find satisfaction and enjoyment in eating wholesome, nutritious meals. Each day I become stronger and more resilient in resisting these unhealthy cravings. My body deserves the best fuel and I provide it with the nutrients it needs to thrive. I'm confident in my ability to make healthy choices, even in challenging situations. With every healthy choice I make, I am taking a step closer to my optimal, ideal well-being. I replace unhealthy cravings with positive thoughts and actions that contribute to my overall health. I am grateful for the opportunity to nourish my body and mind with nutritious foods. Later, when you open your eyes, you will notice that at any time you have a craving, instead of giving into it, you will begin to notice that instead you go drink a glass of water to nourish and hydrate yourself. Or stop and take three big relaxing breaths, breathing in strength and resilience and exhaling out all of your cravings and unnecessary habits. Together now, let's breathe in strength and resilience and exhale out all of your cravings and unnecessary habits. Breathing in strength and resilience and exhaling out all of your cravings and unnecessary habits. And when you open your eyes, you'll begin to notice anytime you have a craving, you go right into this breathing. And every time you go into this breathing in, strength and resilience and exhaling out all of your cravings and unnecessary habits it only strengthens your resolve and makes it easier for you to accomplish all of your goals so when you begin to open your eyes you will notice anytime you have a craving breathing in strength and resilience and exhaling out all of your cravings and unnecessary habits and all of these suggestions are deeply embedded in your subconscious mind. And my voice will absolutely go with you as every day, hour, week, these suggestions continue to grow stronger and stronger because they are deeply embedded in your subconscious mind. And you have chosen to accept these suggestions by listening to this hypnosis now. And you listen to this hypnosis regularly and every time you do, the more regularly you listen to it, the stronger your resolve, the stronger your self-confidence, and the more belief you have in yourself. When you open your eyes, you will notice how anytime you have a craving, instead of giving into it, you will begin to notice going back to those deep, relaxing, big breaths, breathing in strength and resilience, and exhaling out all of your cravings and unnecessary habits. All of these suggestions are deeply embedded in your subconscious mind and will go with you with every hour, day, and week. These suggestions continue to grow stronger and stronger, as does your confidence and resolve, because you are worth living a happy, healthy life. You deserve happiness and healthiness in your life. In a moment now, I'm gonna count you to your full awareness. And when you wake up, you'll continue to act on these suggestions and they will come to you simply and automatically as if a recording sits in your brain. On the count of five, taking a nice deep breath in and out, starting to wiggle, your hands and feet. On the count of four and three, starting to notice the sounds in the room around you, the feeling of the chair or ground underneath you. On the count of two, feeling more alert and awake and ready to take on these new challenges easily and effortlessly as you have everything in you you need to to be successful. And on the count of one, fully awake, fully alert, ready to take on the day, open your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, 
and appreciate how amazing you really are. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.